So, we just, well, we didn't just finish. We recorded with Noel two nights ago. Right. Uh, we planned on doing this um, intro the next day, but we got about caught up. So, mm. we're undoing it now. Um, really interesting episode. One of my uh, favourites, I think. Probably I think, my favourite. I think it was my favourite. Yeah. And I think I'll take the most... I think I'll take the most um, away from that right. and be able to implement it under risk. Right. Loads of wee tips. I think this episode will be really, really useful for anyone that's competing in any kind of endurance right. event. There, you know, all the all the tips are transferable across, and uh, it was brilliant. Right. It's all of the, not even our sports. The tips are just transferable to everyday life. Ah. Um, like see that whole framing thing you know where at the beginning of the episode I was like talking about like the disproportionate time the negative voice gets in your head uh. and he was like don't think of it as a negative voice or a positive voice like you know spend time with that voice uh, seriously get used to it uh, um, and I think that that just transfers and translates into the rest of your life uh. whatever you're pursuing um uh, so it was really good, hey? Uh, I like what I was saying about just having this deck of cards that you can uh, play the whole way through, you know, and the, there's obviously all things that he's given us, these wee uh, kind of mental tricks that you mm-hmm. can play every now and then, and then you couple that with physical things that you can bring to the wrist in, you know, the likes of a can of Coke or a burrito or something, and then just, just having all these wee things and then sitting down planning out your wrist and going right I'll use that there I'll mm. use that there I'll use that there and just having a strategy in your mind I yeah. really like that and what's really good about it too is the strategies are well a lot of the the sciences things get really confusing and yeah. you know the strategies that they use they're all so simple and they make sense when you hear mm. them you go why that, that would work like yeah. um, and they're just they're just they're simple and they're easy to implement and you know that they will be effective. Um, our listeners, they'll know anyway, but we're actually involved in the study with Noel at the minute, and we didn't really get talking about any of the study. We can't mm. talk about the study until after the study's finished. So Noel has agreed to come in again after the study's finished to, yeah. to talk about that. I'm actually I'm really excited about that because we're doing things at the minute that would be great to talk to them about, yeah. but obviously we can't. So that, that'll be another interesting episode. Right. Um and I suppose it's good as well if any of our listeners has any listens to this episode and has any questions for Noel, they can um send them on and, and we'll ask them the next time he's on. Right, that's it. Um the completion date for the study is what in our four weeks? No, three or four weeks. Three or four weeks, I so uh, we'll, we'll get them back on shortly. Get them on before the race mm. anyway, for definite. Um we've had a new donation. Ah, um, we haven't been um, pushing the donation page as much as I would have liked, um, and we're getting close now. We're only like eight weeks out, so I think we we should give it a wee push here. As you know, the race is set up for the Self Help Africa group, um, and we set ourselves our own personal challenge of raising three thousand euros mm. for the challenge. Um, we're still a brave battle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we are looking at a couple of wee fundraisers. But it would be great if we could um if we could have that three thousand. So the link to the donation page is on uh, we'll attach it to this podcast. You can donate through aintorryfitness.com. If you go through our Instagram, I think there's a link on that page. You can't miss it. Um so 
get on and, and give us a wee donation. And like I say, we had a donation there through the week from um, John Curtin, who went to school with, with me and Aidan, so mm. really appreciate that as Thanks, well. Um, and he dropped us a wee message as well to say he was really enjoying the podcast. So yeah. uh, good. It was really good getting feedback like that. Yeah. Um, anything else? Um, I think that's about it. We talked about the the Resist Stopping Project, which uh, Noah's involved in, along with a number of our researchers. And we'll attach a link to that website uh, uh, under the the link to uh, the podcast. I uh, will put a link in the in the comments below. Yeah. Um, any other updates on any training? Um, plans going forward. We we plan to upload training a wee bit, and hopefully, what what we've got, we're hoping to get Blaine on a uh, underwater treadmill shortly and document some of that. So hopefully, we'll get some footage up. Uh, very soon of Blaine doing his best Conor McGregor impression and running on a water, or running on a water, running on a treadmill underwater, um, and hopefully, if uh, the owner of the treadmill is up for it, we might have him on as well and talk about the benefits of that. Excellent. Um, we'll just get straight on. Uh, we've rambled enough here. Right. This is Doctor Noel Brick. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Peace. You're listening to the Coast to 250k podcast with me, Blaine O'Donnell. And me, Aidan Doherty. And we're going to be taking on the mammoth challenge that is the race. This will be a 10-month documentation covering all the highs and lows that come with preparing for an ultra-endurance event. Yeah, that's what's going. Live? Yep. Well, not live. <laughs> um, right, okay, so... Episode 12. Um... Here today with Dr. Noel Brick. Really appreciate you coming on. No um, problem. Thanks for asking me along. You're you're very welcome. Um, so, I suppose we'll start with a wee introduction. Um, you can give the listeners a wee background of who you are, what you've done. Um, give them a bit of context. Okay. Uh, so, a little back, bit of background to myself, first of all. So, um, I work in the School of Psychology in Ulster University. I'm currently based down in the Coleraine campus, but I used to be in the McGee campus uh, for about three or four years. Um, so my whole area of research in within sport and exercise psychology is um, in attentional focus and uh, what we call cognitive strategies, or basically psychological strategies, and how they impact on endurance performance. Um, so really, essentially, I suppose I kind of spend a lot of my time asking people uh what do you think about when you're running um yeah. and then i spend probably the other half of my time uh sticking them on a treadmill in my lab <laughs> torturing them and then asking them what have you been thinking about i can uh, vouch for that there's plenty of torture <laughs> uh, so so yeah so that's basically i suppose um you know my research background um and we can maybe chat a little bit more later on about you know i suppose some of the studies and and, and dig into that a little bit deeper mm. Um, my own background then as an endurance athlete, so um, I suppose really that kind of starts way back in the, the early 2000s when I ran my first marathon, ran Dublin Marathon back in 2001 and again I think in 2003. Um, spent quite a lot of years then um, not running um, and dealing with, with a really problematic injury that I had uh, and it was actually I think about 2011 um, when I ran my next marathon. Jeez. Um 
and through very for various reasons and things like that i sort of got into the world of of ultra uh, distance running so um 2011 actually also i ran my first ultra endurance event um it was a 40 mile event in the brecon beacons in wales um and then 2012 was my big kind of a uh, challenge so i did the the marathon de sable the, the sahara desert marathon in 2012 um and then since, since then i've done sort of various other events probably probably the biggest one also then that, that i've done since then which i think was 2014 was the Kerryway ultra which was i think about 125 miles um took me 33 hours to do which i'm going to say that that's uh reflects the difficulty of the course not how slow <laughs> i am as a runner um and that's so, just running and that that's just running that, that was just running um and so really i suppose you know through those events then um kind of spawned a lot of my research interests um you know doing ultras doing marathons things like that you, you, you have a lot of time to think and you think about a lot of things some are helpful for your performance some are not so helpful for your performance um and i guess you know to, to kind of finish the points and to bring it full circle um my research i think really has come about through things i've just observed in myself and things i've noticed during running that i've kind of thought oh, that's an interesting question i need to kind of study that a little bit more and, mm. and that's kind of led to various studies that we've done um and like i say we'll probably chat through maybe a few of those as, as we go on yeah because i think everybody at exercise uh they notice that their mind's constantly telling them they stop you can't do it it's too hard and it's just a it's just a battle isn't it i think that's yeah i think that's that's often a big challenge mm. is um overcoming and coping with that negative voice that's yeah. kind of saying you can't do this yeah. you know <laughs> or you have to stop and and it, it's you know and it's not necessarily something that it's it's unique to the beginner athlete mm. or at any level right the way up through elite athletes um endurance activity whether it's cycling whether it's kayaking whether it's running rowing whatever it's tough mm-hmm. it's really hard and, and when you're a competitive sort of person you push yourself to your max yeah. and that makes that voice even louder sometimes yeah. um so exactly right that's often the challenge is how we cope with that voice how we cope with those urges to, to slow down stop yeah. quit um and very often i guess it's, it's those kind of strategies that can help to distinguish the better athletes from the um the also runs yeah. you know mm-hmm. to it seems like that negative voice too gets a, a disproportionate amount of time in your head you know that's what that's what's going on most of the time and then you get the odd wee odd wee bursts of positivity uh, that kind of spur you on again yeah. and then you're back to the battle and again you know all the, all the negativity like um yeah uh, but it just seems like it's it is a battle it's always it's always going against you nearly that's yeah. that's nearly how you feel you know when you're exercising like yeah so I suppose I th- getting these strategies on place is obviously extremely helpful like that's exactly it and i think as well um okay so so it's maybe maybe kind of i suppose okay or normal or whatever to kind of think of that voice as as a negative voice but um actually i suppose one thing i've kind of learned and this is where the strategies come in a little bit is through your training the more time you spend training maybe at an intensity or a distance or you know whatever the challenge is the more time you spend with that voice and the more Mm. times you train and get used to that voice and get used to overcoming that voice you don't necessarily well okay maybe you turn it down to a certain extent it doesn't go away but you learn how to cope with it and you learn how to become almost comfortable with it uh to the point where almost sometimes in your training you almost welcome it because it's like okay this is the challenge i'm looking for here this will make me a better athlete yes um and that for me is kind of part of the game and then it's okay right here we go here's the difficulty here's the urge what have i got in my mental backpack to help me cope with this Mm -hmm. to cope with this urge this time very good 
Um, uh, it's a it's an interesting what you think about it. There is, I suppose you would hear a lot of people saying that you know when they can overcome that voice, it gives them um, it it carries over until the rest of their lives too. You know, being a, being in that position where you're talking yourself out of doing something, but doing it anyway and completing it successfully. Yeah. Um, it has a lot of carryover and the stuff outside of exercise too, not just you know during your activity, but your professional life. Uh, your personal life, you know. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think a lot of the strategies, um, if we so, I suppose if we kind of break a few of them down, you know, if we take simple, um, or maybe not so simple, but um, if we take a strategy like self talk, so it's, it's those kind of things that we say to ourselves. Um, very often those can, things can be spontaneous, so that's maybe the negative voice that sort of unpleasant kind of thoughts you might have about stopping or quitting or giving up or whatever, but um one strategy to kind of counter that and cope with that is something we call self-talk um mm. and endurance sports specific type self-talk we call motivational self-talk um and it can be very simple messages it can be things like i can do this i can keep going yeah. i can get to the top of that hill um uh, and it's, it's kind of one way of looking at this is that little voice that's kind of telling you you can't do this you can't take another step mm. sometimes you mm. know in an ultra endurance event well, taking one more step, you've just proven it wrong, yeah. you know, or getting to the top of that next hill, you've, you've just proven it wrong, that voice. Um, and that's what I mean, maybe in training sometimes, hearing that voice, getting use of it and using a strategy like self-talk, just mm. kind of maybe going into a few different strategies here, but but saying to yourself things like, you can do this, keep yeah. going. I've done this before. Other people who may be not as good athletes as me, as me have done this before. I can do this too. Um, a nice little strategy, and this again applies to, to real life as well, a strategy called chunking, um, where you kind of break it down. So I think getting into the specifics of the challenge here, when you think of, I was going to use profanity there. If no, you got, there's, there's no language <laughs> work away. If you're standing on the start line and you're about to do 250 kilometers right. and you're kind of thinking, I'm sorry, Blaine, I'm, I'm going there now. <laughs> but you're thinking, oh, like I'm going to be, going here for for 24 hours or so yeah that can be daunting uh, that can make anybody turn around right there and then so so chunking is quite a nice strategy not just self-talking saying yes i can do this but chunking breaking it down and say okay well do you know what brain i don't have to go to 50k right now yeah. i just have to go to you know the next 20k yeah. and then i get a break um and after that i think about it again yeah. and i go to the next 10k or, or whatever it is yeah. and that's just like you know in life as well these big massive tasks like um, you know, working in the university, I often kind of speak to students and I say, okay, well, you know, you've got three years where you're working towards your degree and mm. that can be daunting for a first year student. So, okay, let's break it down. It's 12 weeks and then you've your first module done, mm. you know, and then it's, it's kind of, well, if you've done one module, you can do two modules. Mm. And so that self-talk comes in there of, yes, I can do it. I, I passed my exams last semester. So, so you're right. You know, a lot of these strategies apply to real life as well in a very, very practical and very um, useful way, I guess. Yeah. That's one I would use when I'd be on hot sessions. Uh. It's, it's only, I suppose I kind of lie to myself. In a way, I would do, you know, say I had eight rounds. Um, once I start really getting it getting it tight, uh, I start to go, right, I'll just do one more round. Yeah. And then I do that round, I go, right, I'll just, I'll just do one more. And I do that round, and then I go, I'll do one more. <laughs> and then I end up doing what I had set out to do anyway. But I'd say I'm breaking it down on the chunks, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But one of the things that, uh, that I noticed was how simple some of the strategies are. You know, you think that that these things are really esoteric and complex, mm. um, and then it's as simple as smiling or telling yourself that you're powerful, or you know, 
so so simple yeah i mean um i i guess that's kind of the the usefulness of it as mm. well all these psychological strategies um yeah i mean like the self-talk one uh look i mean it's something we all say to ourselves day in day out is is kind of convincing ourselves we can do something or yeah. or wherever it might be um the smiling one is is um things you brought up there um okay. we'll, we'll sort of dig into it a bit um so this is based on a study um we did a year and a half ago it was published about a year ago um where we basically had um participants do four different things um and again going back to something i said at the very start about kind of my own running background giving me ideas for studies and things like that um this one kind of came about um f- from a few different angles one was just my own experiences of things i do when i'm running um and i kind of noticed that it kind of works in two ways when you're enjoying your running you tend to naturally you know be a bit more relaxed and smile and things like that um and kind of flipping that on its head and kind of kind of working it the opposite way if, if you kind of smile does that mean you enjoy your running a little bit more and you sort of develop that that positive kind of state around around something that you're doing um, so we basically asked participants to do four things. We asked them to smile. Um, we asked them to produce what they would consider their um, face of effort or the sort of facial expression they would make if they were like running really, really hard or pushing themselves really, really hard. So that kind of grimace expression mm. that we do. Mm. Um, we asked them to uh, use a uh, relaxation strategy. So a simple cue of uh, focusing on their hands and trying to relax their upper body. Uh, and then finally, we asked them just to think about their normal thoughts. And we kind of randomized these. So people did those in, in various orders. Um, we measured something called running economy, which is uh, as people were running, they were wearing a, a breathing mask that collected all the air that they breathed it out. And then we analyzed that for oxygen content. So um, a lower oxygen content basically means somebody's using less energy to run. So they're running a little bit more efficiently. Yeah. Um, and then we asked them various questions about um, how hard they found the pace that they were running at or how... Uh, good or bad they felt uh, running at that pace um, and they're running at a pace I think it was uh, about 70-75% of their their uh, VO2 max or their heart rate max I can't remember exactly um, sorry it was their maximum running speed um, and basically what we found was that when people were smiling it, uh, they were more economical so more using less energy uh, than when they were using their normal thoughts and when they were making that grimace uh, expression and probably the explanation for that is you know when people tend to grimace we tend to tense up we tend to tighten our yeah. arms our fists things like that uh, and so there's more muscle uh, unnecessary muscle activity going on there so yeah. wasting energy basically um but also interestingly it felt easier uh, when they were smiling as well compared <laughs> to to the grimacing one so kind of a strategy um and look this is one study there was some previous studies which did some work on this as well as um so that one strategy of, of kind of smiling um can be useful um and can be helpful um during endurance activities i've kind of so we're we're kind of doing a second follow-up study to to that at the minute um and we're kind of looking a little bit more at those various strategies and and smiling is one of those Mm -hmm. um just to see i mean one study isn't really enough for me as a scientist and this is my own work but as a scientist one study isn't really enough to say that something works you know you need to, to follow it up um but we're also kind of looking at other things in that as well about how it works what people do how they develop it in a way that works for them those kind of things which i think are, are really interesting as well um but yeah sorry i'm, I know I'm kind of rambling on about it, but that, yeah that was yeah. it the smiling the, the smiling one's actually interesting because i've ran a couple of marathons now and you do notice when you go through areas of the marathon where there's big crowds and everyone's cheering you, you're always smiling when you're passing them and yeah. you know even if you see you know you'll see a 
a, a Wayne that's giving people high fives, you're always mm. smiling, or someone that's holding a funny sign, you know, when you're reading the signs and you start to smile, when you, and it does pick you up and give you a wee bit of a lift, you know, even if it is just for, you know, the next 20 or 30 seconds, mm-hmm. but it, it does does appear to work anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot, that, for me, there's a lot of questions that we still need to answer about that, and I think you're right, I think that's one thing that I've, I found in my own experience at the last marathon I did in... October last year um, very deliberately I, I, I tried to use smiling a lot and I found during the first kind of um, 18 20 miles I felt very relaxed I felt very comfortable I felt very, very confident and it was deliberately using smiling just every now and then not necessarily when I felt I needed to but just um, and what I find sometimes as well and again this is purely anecdotal um, just on my own evidence but sometimes going back to what we we're saying at the very start when you go into that negative spiral of mm. listening to that voice that is telling you this is horrible this is mm. so long to go it, it gets you out of that kind of mindset if you like and those yeah. th- embrace that chain of thought and, yeah. and for me that's something that's really useful as well yeah well that's what i thought when i heard this minute thing i thought was that is that like a distraction from from that voice you know that negativity like yeah. i think i think for me i think so i think that's one way of um one way it can be useful as a, a strategy um i think something that's really interesting for me as well so um the current world record holder for the the marathon and uh, the men's marathon elliot kipchoge um during a lot of his races during the last sort of maybe 8k or so where it's getting really difficult um he seems to deliberately use smiling um in about like 30 second bursts or so mm. um uh, and i've seen it use him use it a few times uh, and it seems to be a very deliberate thing for him again to maybe cope with that effort he's feeling or that voice that he's hearing or, or wherever it might be um so yeah and, and lots of questions still about it lots yeah. of as a researcher lots we, we still need to know about it and how it works and and i guess more evidence that it does work in one way or another but interesting as a strategy uh, yeah. that's what i was going to ask you too so obviously you're not running smiling constantly like a psychopath <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're just using it when you need it or in some kind of stra- strategic way yeah i mean in the study that we did originally um year and a half ago um, people were running in six minute blocks and we asked them to, to smile for the entire block um now that's difficult you get kind of a pretty sore face <laughs> yeah, after a yeah, while as yeah. well so people kind of said they could maybe even in that six minutes, keep it going for about 80% of the time on yeah. average, 80, yeah. 84%, whatever it was. So, yeah, I mean, to try doing it for your full marathon, you know, <laughs> if you can go for it, you know, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's probably unrealistic. Uh, and so, yeah, I kind of relate a lot of these strategies for me, the way I conceptualize them is almost like you've, you've got this uh, hand of cards playing cards yeah. and the kind of trick is knowing which card to play at which time. Mm. And sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. more than one card can be a good card to play. Um, but it's not that you sort of play all your cards at the same time and it's not that you need to play all your cards at the same time. So sometimes self-talk, you don't need because you don't hear that negative voice yeah. and smiling likewise as well. Sometimes it's useful, sometimes it's not. Yeah. Um, and for me, the trick, and I kind of used the expression earlier on, this kind of backpack of, of mental strategies, the trick is kind of learning about these strategies, learning which is useful, when it's useful for you. Uh, and even in the same context, sometimes the same card cannot or may not mm. be useful so and that's where the experience that's where training comes in practicing these things in training seeing what works for you even going back to the self-talk thing what's motivational for me to somebody else might be meaningless so it's very it's a very personal kind of thing yeah. as well in, ter- in terms of what works is there anywhere people can go to find out about all of these different strategies um i would probably say um 
Okay, uh, we maybe link this afterwards, but the, we, we do have a website. Um, so I know we'll, we'll go on to this later as well. Uh, for a research group that I'm working with, mm. we, uh, we call Resist. Um, and it's basically uh, a group who've come together um, of researchers who do a lot of work in this area. Um, and we're from all over the place. There's myself, there's um, people from Wolverhampton, St. Mary's in London, Essex, uh, Edge Hill. Um, where else are we from? Plymouth. Um, and basically what we've done is we've kind of uh, developed a resource, uh, a website resource where we've kind of put information about these strategies, short videos about how they work. Um, so, yeah, so we'll maybe kind of link that afterwards. Yeah. Um, um, so, so that's one good place, I think. Mm. Um, I should, this sounds like oh, it was a promotional tour now as well. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but as, as part of some of the work that we've been doing, a lot of us involved in that group have um, developed a book on the psychology of endurance, which I think is coming out in May time. Uh-huh, um, probably aimed at very much an academic audience. Um, so it's a bit nerdy in places. But mm. um but again, it's about all these strategies, the research behind them that kind of supports their use. Um, and again, a lot of practical strategies in there as well about how to use them, when, they, when to use yeah. them, etc. Do you have a title for the book yet? No. I think it's just, uh, it's really imaginative. I think it's called <laughs> The Psychology of Endurance Performance. Things like that. <laughs> Straight to the point. <laughs> Straight to the point. Um, Don't I chance of us getting a, an early copy in March. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pre-March. Yeah. About, about two months late for us. <laughs> um, well, I suppose we could talk about because we've been talking about strategies anyway. Should we go on to resist that one? Go for um, it. Yeah. I'm just on here looking at the the website. Really helpful. But again, the thing that jumps out at me is how simple some of the strategies are. Um, caffeine was one that you mm. talked about. And the, mm. obviously the ergogenic effects of caffeine. Yeah. Um, but you use it on a, as a psychological strategy too? or Yeah. Um, so that might seem like a strange one. So I suppose just to give, give a little bit of background um to, uh, to then explain what caffeine does or how it can be useful uh, and and for endurance at least ca- caffeine can be useful in, in a few different ways but in terms of what it does physically yeah. physiologically uh, but also psychologically so to kind of i suppose take a quick step back uh, and this is useful for all the strategies um one thing that's kind of come out in a lot of research studies in this area recently is um something called our, our perception of effort and how that is possibly one of the key limiting factors to endurance performance. So, so perception of effort um, is basically that sense of how easy or how hard something is. Um, so we know, for, for example, when you're walking, um, you know, down the street or whatever, it it's not very effortful. It, it yeah. feels easy, and we have a sense of how easy or how hard. If you start to walk or run up a hill, it feels harder. Mm-hmm. Your pace might be the same but it feels harder. So that, that feeling is uh, we in the research is called perception of effort. Um, and the way a lot of these strategies are proposed to work is that they reduce perception of effort. So smiling as a distraction may take our mind off that, that yeah. perception of effort. The idea being that the lower your perception of effort, the faster you'll be able to, to perform. And ultimately, perception of effort is one of the things then that causes that urge to stop or slow or quit. Um, especially and linked with the self-talk and motivation etc if we're only willing to give a certain amount of effort then once we reach that ceiling we tend to stop or quit or whatever it's like no this is too hard i can't go on anymore whatever it is so so that's kind of the kind of underpinning for a lot of these strategies is they mm. influence enduring performance by influencing perception of effort yeah, yeah, yeah um caffeine then in terms of how it works um one way that it's uh, in theory um, suggested that it works is that 
when we take caffeine, caffeine acts as a, as a stimulant. Um, and one of the ways that it works is it, that it makes the um, nerves taking the signal from our brain to our muscles work a little bit better. To, so it increases something called excitability of those um, neurons in our um, kind of, uh, I think according to the research, it's in our like spinal cord, etc. So those impulses, those signals get from the brain to the muscles a little bit more easily. And because of that, because the signals don't have to, uh, not as many signals have to travel or not as much uh, signals have to travel or whatever. I'm not saying that very eloquently. Mm-hmm. Um, perception of effort is, is reduced. Yeah. By that. So that's one suggested mechanism. Um, a second way that works that caffeine can help endurance performance is that when we take caffeine, it actually stimulates uh, fat burning and, and uh, glucose glycogen sparing in, in the muscle. Um, so again, by sparing glycogen, it can increase endurance performance. So we burn more fat uh, when we take caffeine. Um, the third way then possibly that it works is how caffeine works um, in our brain in terms of it binds with receptors, which in normal cases cause us to experience uh, fatigue uh, mentally. Um, so these, these receptors in our brain for a substance called adenosine. When we exert a lot of mental effort, we produce more adenosine um, and it ultimately causes that feeling of feeling mentally tired. Um, caffeine binds with those receptors. So we all kind of know the kick that we get for, from caffeine, how it makes us feel more alert, etc. Um, and so by the third mechanism, caffeine, again, is supposed to work to help endurance performance by reducing that sense of, of mental effort and mental fatigue um, and extending performance that way as well. So there's lots of kind of mechanisms and it's quite nerdy, complicated, I guess, in terms of, of, of what's going on there. Um, but but yeah, ultimately, I mean, caffeine is one of the one of the researchers in our, in our group. Um, Sarah Marcora has done quite a bit of work on kind of mm. caffeine for, for endurance performance. And actually going back to what you were saying earlier, not just in kind of lower intensity work, but in high intensity interval work as well. Yeah. Um, and he's done a lot of nice studies where people have taken either a caffeine pill or a placebo pill, which they you know weren't told was a placebo um and typically caffeine has, has tended to come out on top in terms of endurance performance being increased perception of effort being reduced um most likely by those by those different mechanisms yeah uh, are you aware of the optimal dosage now could you tell uh... um gosh um i know in one of his studies he had people taking six milligrams per kilogram body weight right, and i'm not sure if that's the optimal dosage but i know in one of those studies that's what it was so so for me, that would be about 400 milligrams of caffeine there, thereabouts, and about 70 odd kilos, um, which I think if I've got my maths right, a strong cup of coffee is about maybe 80 to 100 yeah. milligrams, depending. Um, so you're talking about four or five, the equivalent yeah. of um, yeah. four or five cups of coffee or so. Pre-event um, or pre-session? Pre and during. And um, during, yeah. yeah. Um, I know he's been doing some work recently uh um, and it's not something I've ever tried, so I don't really have any personal experience of it using caffeine gum. Um, so uh, basically taking chewing gum, um, which has caffeine in it. Yeah. Um, and so I guess you're kind of getting a release during the event as well. Yeah. Um, obviously, you get things like gels with caffeine in it and, and stuff like that as well. Um, so I, th- I think, I mean, again, in practical sense, I mean, if you take a really large dose of caffeine pre-event, um that could have a lot of unpleasant consequences as well um mm. so i guess in a way it's it's good to kind of take obviously take pre but then take during as well especially for an event where you're going to be going for you know 20 plus hours or whatever it is yeah um that phasing it out I, I mean is that something you've kind of planned as part of your we haven't put any any caffeine uh, i'm not sure um but i mean there's i suppose a few things though i mean there's there's lots of ways you can get caffeine you can take you know caffeine pills or whatever or yeah. gel with caffeine in it or whatever 
Um, going back to the point about taking a big dose of caffeine right at the start, I mean, that can, if you're not used to it, that can cause, I guess, you know, issues in terms of, you know, stomach problems yeah. and things mm. like that. Um, it's quite interesting as well. Um, caffeine and the kind of symptoms that it causes, physical uh, symptoms that, it, you know, we tend to get after we take caffeine. So we can feel quite jittery. We can mm. feel it's very simple. It's very similar to what we experience when we're extremely anxious. Mm-hmm. So actually a high dose of caffeine can make us feel extremely anxious as well. And that isn't necessarily a good thing for, for endurance performance. Yeah. Um, I think probably for me, the, the best recommendation with caffeine is trying it and see people mm-hmm. can have different tolerance levels and things like that as well. So trying it, see what works for you um, and, and experimenting with the doses in your training, etc., um, And experimenting even with when you take it during performance, yeah. etc., as well. Yeah. yeah, it's something we should definitely look into. Yeah, yeah. we haven't we haven't put that in place yet for our long sessions. No, yeah, no, but we should. Uh, but it, it, I suppose there are considerations to make for people who are who are listening. You know, make sure that you, we would get in the gym. You know, a lot, a lot of people use pre workout supplements, which which will be high in caffeine. Yeah, um, you can actually get almost your your optimal dosage from one shot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people, uh, but. People here, you have problems with anxiety and stuff. Mm-hmm. They obviously have unpleasant experiences with it. Like, yeah. Um. So building up is definitely key to it. I think so, and I think just being careful, careful with the dosage, careful mm. what you take as well. Um. There's kind of a, a bit of an infamous study about three years ago, I think now, in a, a maybe not to say it, but a, a university in the UK, where they kind of went from taking caffeine in pill format to powder yeah. format. And in the study that they were doing, they the dose that they uh, wanted participants to take was 300 milligrams. Uh, but basically, somebody put the decimal points in the wrong place Jeez. and gave them 30 grams of Jeez. caffeine. Um, and obviously, like, I mean, luckily, nobody uh, died. I mean, people have died from high doses of caffeine, um, much less than 30 grams. I mean, 30 grams is about half a Mars bar worth of caffeine. <laughs> Um, so so yeah um, so this huge kind of um, it was a big sort of story in the time uh, at the time um, how were they was, ingesting that so so they basically took it in powder format um, I'm not sure whether it was dissolved in you know kind of a, a drink or whatever um, but yeah so uh, be very very careful with with, with dosage yeah I what wonder what they experienced imagine <laughs> taking that oh my god <laughs> I was thinking how they were shoving handfuls of propose <laughs> under their mouth or something. <laughs> what about um, caffeine crash? You know, you hear people saying that the whole come down off taking too much caffeine and an endurance event as as there, you know, would that be something that you should be worrying about? Especially if we're going twenty four hours, you don't want to be crashing after you know twelve hours. I think uh, yeah, I think for me that's where um, look. I mean, if you think about um the, the start of an event um i guess really you you want to there's so many factors here but one thing you want to do is just pace yourself very very conservative uh con, uh, conservative. <laughs> <laughs> uh very uh easily um so yeah so you want to be conservative in terms of your pacing and, yeah. and you don't want to go too too hard so i guess for me another factor there is you know it's, it's a very different kind of event and really the bigger issues for you as the event goes on will be things like mental fatigue you know mm. if you if, so i mean so what time does it start in, in the day 5 a.m 5 a.m so i mean you're obviously getting up early but as the event goes on you're going to be getting into your normal 
you know, sleeping time, mm. bedtime, things like that. Um, and so it's going to be very normal, natural that you will experience mental fatigue later in the event, not just as part of your normal daily cycle, but the fact yeah. that you've been exerting yourself for so long. So I think maybe later in the event, it becomes more important. Um, and so maybe sort of considering, uh, and this is part of, I suppose, planning for the event is, okay, where where am I likely to need it most? Where am I likely to need that sort of kick most? Um, if we're, say, working on a window of like, you know whatever it might be three four hundred milligrams whatever it might be um i don't necessarily think it's a good idea to take all that early on the race because then you're sort of getting to a point where okay i'm wrecked now i'm tired um and i don't want to take any more because i'm kind of feeling jittery or whatever it might be you know or whatever um so maybe sort of strategically deciding okay when will i take it when will it be most useful what time of day what which stage of the event you know all those kind of Mm. things uh, could be useful as well Mm-hmm. Um, could be useful for mental fatigue this uh, is obviously going to be a big roadblock for us uh, yeah. you know you're saying about it we're saying it starts at five in the morning when we were up at your conference um, you had said about run the endurance 24 hour <coughs> endurance events and just getting to sunrise and then you know getting a, a bit of a pick me up then when you see the sun coming up we were actually talking about it on the last podcast with we won't even get that in this event because we start off with sunrise basically and then run right through until five in the morning when it's going to be pitch dark when we're coming <laughs> over the finish line. So that's, yeah. that's one tool we won't be able to utilize <laughs> in the in the race. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, is there any other strategies like we have multiple here? Is there ones that you would like to talk about? Do you th- you find most beneficial? I think um, at this stage one that could be really useful in terms of your planning and things like that is um, a strategy called if-then planning. Yeah. And this is, this is kind of, I suppose, a bit of an overarching strategy in terms of, it, it's kind of planning for, okay, if, go back to what we were just talking about, if I feel tired during the event mentally, um, then, okay, so what am I going to do when when I feel mentally tired, when I kind of hit hit a wall to a certain extent? Um, and the then for that could be, okay, well, I'm going to take some, some caffeine um, at that point. Um, if I'm going up, um, let's say, if I'm going up mockish or something like that, mm. um, and I'm looking up and I think, oh, you know, that's just torture at mm. this stage. Then, and the then will be, okay, What? how do I cope with that? How, how do you cope with that? How do you um, put something in place yeah. to prepare for that kind of uh possibility that you might you might sort of mm. experience those thoughts and that you might sort of experience that thought of i really don't want to go on here mm. um i mean is, is that something you've sort of planned or is that something you would have even you know kind of um in your training kind of experienced or uh, well we have experienced it uh, um i haven't had any anything in place you know to, to say if i get these thoughts what am i going to do um the one about muggish and an interesting one is there anything that you would suggest for you know, if you are going up a mountain and it just seems to be never ending, what what do you, how do you prepare for that to to overcome those thoughts? Um, I think a few things come to mind. I think one is um, for if I say a very kind of basic first one would be just being very familiar with it. Yeah. Um, a bit anecdotal and then a bit of research. So the anecdotal bit is um race that I did in the Kerryway Ultra a few years back um, I had trained on parts of the route so it was parts of the route I was familiar with and I was okay on those I was fine in those 
And then there were some mountains that I was going up. And you know those kind of mountains you're sort of going up and you think, oh, there's the top. And you get to that point and you think, oh, and it just goes up again. And that is soul destroying. That's absolutely horrendous. So, And that was something I hadn't prepared for, just areas of the route that I wasn't familiar with. Um, so I think one is, is kind of really being familiar with the route um, and as much as possible kind of training on those bits of the route so that um, that doesn't happen. Um, in psychology, we call those kind of experiences negative affective states. So that kind of negative emotion or unpleasant feeling you might get when something like that happens, because that can kill your race. That can just yeah. make you want to stop or walk or whatever it is right there and then. Uh, and it can also in- influence your pacing. So, I mean, if you're going up a hill and you think it's only so high, you will go at a certain intensity. Yeah. Um, and then you suddenly realize you're only halfway there when you hit that ridge. Um, so so that can be one, um, just being very familiar with it and just being very familiar. Um, I think a second then is, is just very simply having some sort of mental strategy to cope with that. So if I do have those thoughts, what will I think? What will I do? So what's your backpack that you can try at that stage? Um, so could it be smiling and just think, well, you know what, everybody else has gone up this mountain too, or, or finding some positivity. And um, I kind of, you know, you find positivity in the weirdest of thoughts. But yeah. like sometimes if I'm going up a mountain like that and I sort of something like that happens, I think, well, at least it's not raining. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or at yeah. least it's not windy. You know, it'd be so yeah. much worse going up here with a gale force wind. Yeah. Yeah. No, if it's raining, it's <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help you. But <laughs> Uh, but you know finding positivity in somewhere at least at least I'm on track I'm not in a field you know yeah. anything that yeah. brings some little bit of positivity to break that that negative kind of cycle that might be going on um, a, th- a third one that's really really useful is going back to that chunking strategy yeah. is, is breaking it down and just kind of think okay I'm going to suspend and this is really you know takes practice but I'm going to suspend all those judgments about this mountain and, and how horrible it might be un- until I get to halfway uh, and it's like the same when you're doing eight eight reps or something like that or, or doing hit work. It's like, I'm not even going to, I'm going to trick myself that I'm only going to halfway. Mm. Halfway is really the top. And then I'll deal with the other half when I get there. And then you get to halfway and you think, well, I've come halfway. I'm mm. done. I'm doing well. You know, the right. next step, I have less to go than I've already done. Mm. Right. So then it becomes a little bit easier. And it's all about that, that kind of trick that you play with yourself. Um, maybe a final one then that, that I know a lot of um, mountain runners use is um, counting. Um, people do this in, in different ways so what I find it helps with is um, and again this is is I, I say I find it's useful for me and in, in, in some studies I've done where I've kind of interviewed um, elite runners about strategies they use um, counting was one that cropped up quite a bit um, and it, it simply is you know going one two three four people count to different numbers minus four I just go one yeah. two three four one two three four I know others count to seven others count to eight um, there's no it's just what works for them um, but what it helps to do is one, it provides a bit of a distraction from those kind of negative thoughts. Um, it helps to keep you in the moment. So you're not thinking about, you know, two minutes up the mountain. You're just in the here and now. And you're just thinking, I, I tend to put it to my steps. So I go one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Um, and it just helps me kind of mm. take my mind off maybe how far I have to go, how I'm feeling, distract from that perception of effort uh, to a certain extent. Um, I tend to put that with a mantra sometimes. So my mantra becomes then, and this just evolved. And actually I use a bit of visualization here as well. So the mantra that just kind of evolved from that one, two, three, four was um, strong and powerful. And again, I I put that to my kind of footfall. So I'm going, you know, starting with left foot first and I'm going strong and powerful, strong. And and, and again, so that, and that kind of then mantra um, 
and what every reason I have this visual visualization strategy, I don't know where it came from, just something evolved. I started to imagine something like an animal that's strong and powerful. And so for me, I think it's a film I must have watched years ago of a, a hippopotamus or something like that, or a rhino, sorry, uh, chasing like, you know, in a safari thing, chasing a car. And just this big, strong beast of an animal kind of chasing this car. So so I visualize, I don't visualize I'm the rhino, but yeah. I visualize something strong and powerful like a rhino. Yeah. And that just helps me, just helps me overcome that. Because sometimes it's like a lot of urges, um, they tend to be short lived. Mm. So once we kind of have something in place to help cope with that urge, it gets you on to the next bit. And then another strategy becomes later, you know, like I said, becomes more useful later on. Like I said, getting past that halfway, then it's like, ah, you know, I've halfway done. It's, yeah. it's easy from here on, you know, or whatever. So, yeah, so, so a lot. So, you know, there may be some options um, of, of kind of things that can be useful if you encounter those kind of thoughts. What, one thing that I really like about the race um, from a psychological perspective is that there's kind of, even though each uh, event is, is quite tough and quite long, it's there's a natural sequence of chunks there. Yeah, you know, yeah, you've, yeah. you've got a kayak and, and okay, I can yeah. chunk this bit. You've got mm. a run, I can chunk this bit of cycle. Um, and so it's maybe really staying in the moment of each of those events. And again, finding positivity. You know, I'm on the bike. Oh, I get to sit down for a while, uh, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah. I'll get off my feet for a while. And d- just finding the positives wherever there is one. Yeah. Well, it's one of the things we find, was not that those transitions, like they really save your your mental mm. state you know just knowing yeah. that right this is over now in such and such time and then i get the transition into something else and we'll take that as it as it comes like yeah yeah mm. yeah uh, um the the counting one kind of reminds me of um it's a practice you use in meditation too where you know if you're f- tr- you're trying to focus the mind and you're trying to say you're trying to focus on the breath or something you'll go one when you're breathing in two when you're breathing out yeah the exact same thing and you can see if you're if you're focusing on that and then you're changing it to a mantra or you're just focusing on positivity and drowning out all that negativity, you could see how it would be helpful. Eh? Yeah. It's a good one. Though, yeah. yeah. Um, and I say, I mean, people have evolved different ways of, of doing it, but you're quite right in terms of a lot of um, uh, relaxation strategies yeah. and things like um, uh, breathing techniques and stuff like that, where in an effort to kind of slow your breathing, you might do a, a four to eight count. So that's kind of a breath in for four uh, and even slower on the, on the way back out, counting mm-hmm. for eight, counting for six, whatever kind of works to slow your breathing down. But you're right, it, it helps to keep you in, in the present moment. Yeah. It helps to kind of tune out, if you like, distractive, negative, whatever kind of thoughts mm-hmm. that, you, that you don't necessarily want to have at that time. Um, and that present moment focus is, especially in a long, longer duration endurance event like that can be so so important yeah. it's I not like something we ever thought of either wasn't it having a like a mental strategy in uh, place for your own I, I like the strong and powerful uh. might, might have to borrow that <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where Theresa May went wrong she went for strong and stable <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good um, oh, there was something I was going to there I was going to say and it's gone in my head um, but yeah sorry yeah we'll come back to it um, what were you going to say, Arby? I was going to say. Oh. Oh, right. um, yeah, sorry. What I was going to say was um, maybe just the last point on, on the if-then planning. So, yeah. th- again, the then was those various strategies. But even, and people hate to kind of think about stuff like this, but actually I think it's really, really important. So think about what might be, you know, kind of unplanned events or, you know. So, like, if, again, if-then. If you get a puncture, you know, then, yeah. you know, what are you going to mm. do? Um if you kind of find for whatever reason that part of your nutrition stops working for you, you know, you yeah. just can't eat whatever it is anymore. Mm. And again, these are things that would have happened 
in some of the races I've done where you kind of have a nutritional strategy planned and then you get to a point in the race and it's like, I can't stomach another mm. one of those, you know, or whatever it might be. So, so again, it's, it's, it's planning for those kind of things. Um, the point being, say, with a puncture or whatever, is that like when it does happen, well, it's not just, it's not such a catastrophic, catastrophic event. You've a plan mm. in place for it. It's maybe factored into the time overall for the event. Mm. So like if it takes me 10 minutes, well, that was part I planned for mm. that. That's in my schedule. So it's okay. Um, and so all those kind of things, if mm. then planning can be really useful for, because again, unexpected events like that, like me going up that mountain and then suddenly seeing it was just a ridge and not the top, um, a puncture, et cetera, can be, can be soul destroying. Um, mm. and that negative effect is something that you want to, to, to mm. avoid as much as possible. Mm. What about the taste fatigue? How do, how do you plan around that? Just different meals and your transition boxes or, um, <laughs> In the last race, in uh, the Kerryway one that I did, not very well. Um, so uh, my parents kind of actually bailed me out on that one. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, um, I got to a point in the race where I just couldn't couldn't really eat. I, I would tend to kind of, I suppose, eat as naturally as possible in some of those events. So kind of the the kind of bars and stuff like that that I had with me, I just I just couldn't take them anymore. I just mm. ugh, didn't the thought of them. Um, and my parents met me at one of the kind of checkpoints with. Um, and I, actually, this was something that uh, I kind of learned from a 24-hour track race that I did was um, they met me with a thing of yogurt and a tin of Coke, and it was just the best thing. <laughs> uh, the, the yogurt just really helped. And it, maybe it was almost a placebo thing, but at a 24-hour track race, something similar quite kind of happened to me. I just I yeah. couldn't kind of eat uh, as much anymore. So um, a runner at the race just gave me one of his yogurts, and uh, it just got me taking something that was different yeah. that I hadn't even thought about but it, it worked and maybe it was a bit of placebo then in the other event this kind of association that it worked for me <laughs> before so oh, I, I, I just want yeah. yogurt more than anything right now <laughs> and just got me lifted my mood a bit even though I think just seeing my parents at that point was really good as well yeah. and it was kind of like that it was it was about maybe one in the morning or stuff or something like that um, and it just got me going again and yeah. got me through the next part of the race yeah. one of the things we had the the yeah he won the race last year he's actually a record holder um but he was he loves down at you know on the on the uh, the course and so he was running it every day so he was very familiar with the track like. but um he said to us that like he has enough uh, variation in his transition boxes you know his food mm -hmm. but if he was to do the risk again it would have enough food they do it you know lap it twice like yeah. just so that he has Variety. Ah, variety. Just to just to pick something up. No, if it wasn't even even if it wasn't planned on having it, just a you yeah. know, uh, help him mentally along. Like yeah. Mm. Again, even that that I mean that sort of feeds into that if then planning. You know, yeah. if you know he obviously has kind of th maybe that experience before of um and has those options in place then for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that was a really like what was his time was something like thirteen hours or something. And the guy behind him was like two hours <laughs> behind. Aye, like it's a big gap, and and a twenty four hours, aye. two hours, a big gap. Jeepers. And then my thinking is anyway, he's just so familiar with with the course, like mm. like even I remember the first time I climbed Eregel, you know, and it's not even that high, but you keep th you keep seeing a peak and going, 
right, soul right, destroying. Uh, it really is. Right, tap it is. You get over it and you go, what? <laughs> and then it happens again and happens again. Uh, and I remember thinking after it, going, Jesus, that was hard there. Yeah. And then the next time I climbed it, it was like, whoop, up to the top. Uh, and I was like, that was grand. Yeah. You know, like the, the, the difference. The unknown. Was unbelievable, just, like, just yeah. because I didn't know what was coming. Yeah. Frighteningly. We, um, we did a study last year where we, we kind of looked at that phenomenon of um, whether you know, <coughs> excuse me, whether you know or don't know how difficult um, a, a route is going to be. Um, so we did a study where it was a bit, um, I talked about torturing people on my treadmill. This <laughs> one was the ultimate. Um, so we basically had people do three, three kilometer time trials on the treadmill. Um, the first one was, was a flat and we told them it was flat. Um, the second and third ones then were done in different orders for, by different people. Um, one of them, we told them um, that there would be a 7% incline over the last 800 meters. So the last half mile would be up. And 7% is quite a, quite a steep slope. Mm. Um, and then the other time trial, we told them it would be flat, but there was a 7% incline um, <laughs> at 800. So it was the exact same yeah. as the, the other one. So, so they basically either knew about it or didn't know about it. Um, and what we found was a couple of things, but one of the main things that we found was that uh, when people knew that the 3K was going to get harder, they ran a lot slower in that first 2K. Um, and th there's this idea of, that we kind of conserve it um, based on how difficult we think something is going to be. We tend to conserve energy. And yeah. again, a lot of that is based on our perception of effort. And this idea that if, if I think something is going to get harder, I'll kind of save some energy for yeah. that as such and sort of knock back on that a little bit. But the other thing that was really interesting was how people coped and how people reacted when we told them initially that it was going to be flat the whole way and then we told them at 1,800 metres that, oh, by the way, in 400 metres time, the slope of the thing is going to go up to 7%. <laughs> and these people were going as hard as they could, expecting it to be <laughs> oh, flat. My God. And, uh, yeah, I won't kind of say maybe some of the kind of verbal <laughs> responses maybe <laughs> <laughs> was like... <laughs> it was uh, unpleasant, but... Yeah. Um, but what we found was, so these were all experienced runners, and it would be interesting to see to see how less experienced athletes mm. would have coped with it. I mm. imagine a lot of people would have stopped. Um, yeah. Exactly on that, you sort of you reach a point, you, say, oh, you know, I've been going as hard as I can here, and this guy is asking me to run up mm. uh, another slope or whatever. But these people use a lot of self talk, um, much more than in the other time trial when they knew about it, um, uh, or in the previous first part, first half of the time trial. Uh, and again, it was having that strategy in place to cope when something like that happens unexpected. Mm. And it's just like going up Ergo and you see that that reaction, that kind of like, oh, no way. Um, you know, so that would be kind of almost listening to that voice and letting it yeah. in and just dominates everything. And that makes the whole experience horrendous. And, yeah. that, you know, when you plan for it, when you know about it, when you know what it's going to be like, then you maybe pace it differently or you sort yeah. of approach it differently. Um but then also when that unexpected things thing happens, having strategies like self-talk in, in place. So, so, okay, it's happened. How do I cope with this to still try to run this as fast as I can? And that's where things like the unexpected like that, that's where having those strategies like self-talk can be really useful. Yeah. You would actually see it a lot in the gym too. You know, have a session planned out for a client for, you know, an hour or whatever, and they get through it a bit faster than what I was expecting. And I'm like... Ah, we've got five minutes left here. Let's go and do a furniture, <laughs> and you just see them physically just go, ah. <laughs> you know. Um, but I, it's, it's the same thing. Like, um, as well, I would say a positive mental state. Is it even achievable across a full event, um, or is it just inevitable that you're gonna, you're gonna uh, spiral at some point? Um, 
I think in an event like this and um, well any event but okay even if we sort of take like a, a 5k or a 3k or something like that when, when you're kind of running something like that as hard as you can it's not always going to be a positive experience even yeah. for the best athletes it will feel horrendous at times and, and and a lot of it is about coping with with those kind of negative thoughts and, and things like that and it's, it's not about being positive all yeah. the time and, and i don't think any event is you're, you're going to feel positive all the time most of it, most of it is managing your resources managing that urge to quit the urge to quit and and that sort of inner voice if you think about it is actually i mean even if you think about it in evolutionary terms um it's quite a good thing yeah and, and and so a very natural thing for us to to experience and the reason being that like i mean in evolutionary context um wasting energy unnecessarily is not a good idea not a good yeah. thing so it kind of makes sense that there's some um inbuilt mechanism almost that stops us from um kind of doing crazy <laughs> yeah. events like a 250k um the guys on the savannah who were running 40 miles didn't survive too long basically yeah but i mean even that i mean so i guess we evolved as, as kind of runners as part of our hunting strategy but yeah. it doesn't mean that we sort of like um you know that we go as fast as somebody would doing a 5k because yeah. again it's it's not the type of strategy that would work for us other things can go faster than us so this kind of slow burn of long distance running um again i'm not an evolutionary psychologist but yeah, that's yeah. kind of where i guess a lot of our running abilities come from um, but it's natural that we have this kind of voice that tells us stop wasting energy, stop doing yeah. this, this isn't good for you, all those kind of things. So going back to the point about being positive, it's it's not necessarily a long endurance events like that is, is going to be positive. Uh, it can be for a lot of the time. Uh, and a lot of these strategies that we can use can help cope with those negative thoughts and those negative events. But even that, it's not about changing those to positive. It's more about coping in yeah. the moment and, and, and a way of coping with that urge that we can, we can sort of keep going. Um, and I guess motivation is a huge part of that. So it's kind of, even when you sort of experience that voice, it's okay, why am I doing this? You know, and it's kind of having, even going back to if then planning, it's kind of having strategies in place that when you really need it, having those motives, you know, so the charities that you're running for, the people that are supporting you, all those kind of things, they, they are things that you draw on to get you through it. Um, and kind of going to some of the, 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 the models of endurance performance, um, a lot of them consider motivation as, as a hugely important factor um to to cope with endurance uh, and to cope with that sense of effort and that perception of effort that we experience that voice that is telling us to to stop mm -hmm. um so yeah so uh, a long-winded answer but i guess not necessarily always about being yeah. positive uh, but coping is, is hugely important mm. and i suppose like you said in the beginning um part of the achievement is overcoming these mental obstacles like you know when you finish the event that's part of the, the gratification you get you know what you were able to fish yourself basically and overcome it exactly and, and i mean it's look i mean these these events are not easy um mm. they're exceptionally hard and very few people even, even attempt, attempt them yeah um so it is that personal achievement of of being able to to sort of prove to yourself as much as anything else that that, that you can do something like that mm -hmm. yeah um i mean if, if i can ask like what would be your your main motives and your main drives for for doing it um Loads of people have asked me, Any <laughs> anybody that say that I'm doing this risk, they always say, why are you doing it? Um, I, I don't really know why. There's <laughs> one of them once kind of signed up and now it's snowballed under this whole big thing. It was but, a spark of madness to begin with. Uh, um, to be honest, when we signed up initially, I, I didn't even think I would reach the start line. You know, there was no 
and I had kind of got it into my head if I don't reach the start line it's it's not the end of the world but I think the the main driver for us now is having this podcast I think you know going so public with what we're doing mm-hmm. um putting it out to almost a, a global audience and saying this is what we're doing um can't back out now we're in, in too deep <laughs> um you can so just I, you can just say you did it <laughs> <laughs> we'll just go around and give you pictures of you standing <laughs> Oh, very good, yeah. uh, so that's uh, the podcast is the the main driver now at this stage um but i suppose just the the thought of accomplishing it as well you know yeah. it's it'll be an incredible feat mm. um so uh, that's that's the main things like it'll be probably the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life uh, um, so the carryover until the rest of your life is going to be crazy because you can always compare everything that you do to this it's like find something hard you go well look I, I did the wrist like yeah. I did Ireland's toughest wrist and I did it you know you'll so never I, so I you'll never this. hear the end of me after like, <laughs> if I finish this wrist that'll be me <laughs> but you're right though and again going back to something we were saying at the very start is how a lot of this stuff transfers over into mm. everyday life and yeah. the challenges we experience in our life and you're, you're right you know kind of a challenge like this um and and the kind of memories that you will have from it and the mm. experience that you have from it, you know, they apply to, to other big challenges as well. And, and really how you draw on those, you th- you do, th- there are times you do think, oh, well, you know, I did that. Um, so, you know what, I can apply the same strategies. I can break this down. I can yeah. keep myself positive. I can use my strategies. I can use chunking, whatever it might be, you know, break a big task down into a little thing um, and do it one step at a time. And those are things that these kind of achievements kind of, uh, lend you i guess in, in life in general we should actually do that this maybe this week sit down come up with because we have a long run some come sort up, of so strategy just come up and see if we can put some strategies in place for yeah. the weekend see if we can use them mm-hmm. mm, be good um right one of the other things was we were kind of talking about the evolution of the body to run stuff um tom noakes and the the central governor theory um it's one that's kind of pretty popular we'd hear a lot of fitness gurus and stuff stuff talking about it um but it's basically his theory is that there's a like a neural fa- fail shift basically where your body will just shut down just for self-preservation when you're exercising when you get to that limit um I, and so i think this was more my question than anything else <laughs> how how much credence has it on the academic circles is it um yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, I suppose, it's, look, uh, it's, I'll, I'll give sort of background to it, um, yeah. where the, the theory started, where it came from, even sort of what predates the theory. Um, and we'll, maybe between us try to reach consensus of, of where it stands. It's it's controversial, um, yeah. I'll say that at the start. So, so basically, uh, but, but actually there's, look, there's, there's good things and bad things about it. So basically where um, this idea of a central governor uh came from where it started was in the early 2000s really maybe even sort of slightly late 90s but early 2000s certainly in terms of published stuff mm. um but i suppose the story starts way back in the early 1900s 1920s or so um when kind of like uh really ideas about endurance performance and ways of testing the limits of endurance performance maybe really started and a lot of the stuff was done by early physiologists yeah. so measuring things like uh, vo2 max um 
and finding that you know sort of people had a, a sort of upper limit in terms of how much oxygen their their body could use um and this kind of upper limit or ceiling was was our vo2 max the volume of uh, oxygen that we can use when we were working at our maximum um was kind of proposed as like a physiological limit to to endurance performance so it's, it's in a kind of a analogy it's like um the size of of the engine in the car mm. okay and so how fast the car can go is determined by the engine size so that's really what vo2 max is like uh, and then the next question is okay well what limits vo2 max and so probably one of the the main limits there i'm not a physiologist but it is kind of our ability to supply oxygen to the to the muscles so yeah. determined by our, our heart and so when we reach vo2 max our heart rate's pretty much at its max um so it's the maximum ability of the blood to deliver oxygen to the muscles to to fuel them to to keep them going so kind of you know and there's there's lots of other parts of that story but effectively what was developed from starting at that time was this uh, physiological model of how endurance performance is limited so in other words it's all about what happens in the body yeah um it's to do with our heart it's to do with our lungs and getting oxygen in all those kind of stuff and tim noakes kind of uh, started this idea in the early 2000s of well hang on a second where's the brain in this uh, and and he sort of suggested it's a brainless model of endurance performance that it's all about what happens in the muscles what happens in the heart the, the blood all that sort of stuff so he kind of suggested well the brain has a role to play in this and and really the brain has a part to play in deciding when we stop um and even if you think about when we're doing longer and distance endurance events we don't go flat out from the start our heart rate isn't at the max we pace ourselves uh, and so in self-paced endurance exercise he was kind of suggesting that there's some kind of controller here that limits um our our performance and he's he called this controller the central governor um and what he suggested it was that it was this subconscious part of the brain as kind of unidentified but some part of the brain um that kind of set the limit and kind of set the switch off so even this these kind of urges we might experience and stuff like that might be sort of part of that although it's probably more to that story but um and and the reason he suggested that our brain sets this limit is that it prevents what he called catastrophic failure in the yeah. body so this off switch if you like that stopped you know our heart exploding effectively if we try to go beyond its its maximum or or something catastrophic happening in other organs in the body or whatever uh, so that was his original theory and, and what i like about what he did was um he he gave the brain a role in endurance performance and and it wasn't necessarily there before so that's a huge positive and that was kind of for me as a psychologist it was a step forward in, in the field but uh the model i think has become controversial for a lot of reasons so one of the reasons is that a lot of components of the model without getting too nerdy about it um a good scientific theory or a good scientific model should be false uh, falsifiable in other words you should be able to do a study um that can potentially prove some part of the model or theory wrong yeah. and if it's wrong then the theory the theory doesn't stand up to to testing um but a lot of the stuff he's got in there like this subconscious controller and things like that aren't things you can really test yeah. um and so people in science would call this pseudoscience that it's not necessarily scientific um and he sort of developed his model in the early 2000s. He published lots of papers, 2004, 5, 8. All were kind of upgrades on the model, if you like, and adding little bits to it and explaining how it applies and, and stuff like that. 
Um, but in 2008, 2009, um, kind of the, the guy who's maybe seen as the big rival in this field, it's like academics or like whatever, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to compare this to Brexit in a minute, but we'll go back to Theresa May. Yeah. Um, but uh, this guy, Sam McCora, kind of developed this um, alternative model, if you like, called the um, psychobiological model. Yeah. And what he basically suggested was we don't need a subconscious controller in our brain to, to dictate endurance performance. Um, the conscious brain does that. We do that consciously. So if I'm going to run a marathon, I set my pace at the start. Um, I determine how fast I, I'm going to go during that event. Um, and look, people have done this repeatedly. We go too fast um, at the start of events and we, we blow up. Um, whereas the subconscious control idea suggests that we have some mechanism in place that prevents us from doing that before we get to, to the end. Um, the other kind of thing that uh, Marco argues against the model is that, you know, unfortunately, people do die during endurance tasks. So we've, you know, people die during like the London Marathon, I think was it last mm. year or the year before or something mm. like that. So, so what he suggested, again, what he says is that if we've got this evolved subconscious controller that is there to prevent these catastrophic events from happening, then why do they have them? Yeah. Uh, Noakes would argue, well, most people don't. So it does its job. Uh, Marcura would argue, well, people push themselves to the point where they do collapse. So it doesn't work always. And mm. so, it doesn't sound like a very good mechanism to, to him if you know so so he has kind of proposed a simpler model that effectively says endurance performance is determined by two key things how motivated we are and our perception of effort and our perception of effort is the ultimate kind of limiter and it's the thing that kind of causes us to, to stop or slow down um so where is the that kind of model um lots of academics don't necessarily like it because yeah. there's lots of aspects in it that are not testable and yeah. it's not necessarily a good theory. Um, Marcoro would also argue that it's too complicated and it doesn't need to be complicated. And again, a good theory should be simple mm -hmm. and a simpler explanation is a better explanation. Um, and I kind of like this idea that um, going back to what we we're talking about, strategies that influence your motivation, reduce your perception of effort, the science kind of suggests that they are effective to improve endurance performance. And so does it need to be any more complicated? That's one thing that McCurry would argue and I would tend to, to agree, agree with. Yeah. Um, I think where that central governor model has gone from the early 2000s to now, it's so complicated and it's there's so many elements to it. And it's been yeah. through so many evolutions, if you like, itself. Um, that I don't necessarily think it's almost unrecognizable now from where, where it kind of started off. To kind of bring this all full circle, I think where it's kind of got to now in a much more complicated way is effectively saying the same thing as Marcora would say. And I don't think he would like me saying that, but effectively it does. There's there's more to these models uh, and they effectively say, say the same thing. Perception of effort is quite important. Um, motivation is, is quite important. Um, and yes, physiological things like, you know, for example, lactate accumulation and stuff like that does impact and VO2 is important. But in terms of the ultimate limiter to, to performance, I think those quite simple things of motivation, perception of effort are are fundamentally important. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say, and I know I'll go off on a nerdy academic no. kind of tangent here and stuff like that, but but there are other kind of important things for endurance performance too that those models don't really consider. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of been talking about something called effect or effective veil. And so that kind of, that's, that kind of experience you might have when you're going up mountain and you suddenly see you're only halfway there and that, oh, this is like, you know, horrible sort of feeling that we have. 
that's important too. Um, and so that kind of negative effect is quite important for endurance performance. And we want to, I guess, avoid that as much as possible. Um, things like complexity uh, and sort of knowledge of the event. And, you know, again, I gave that example of the, the study we did where we influenced knowledge of that 7% incline. Those things are important. Mm -hmm. um, and so, again, that's quite a conscious process of what you know about event and how hard it's going to be, not just how long it's going to be. Um, all endurance and influence endurance performance as well. Yeah. Um, so long-winded answer, but central governor was a nice break away from the physiological model, uh, but it's got quite complicated and yeah. twisted and bent, and I don't think it's necessarily the best explanation of endurance mm. performance. You wonder how these things become so popular, right? given that it is unfalsifiable, like you would... You would hope, anyway, at least, that they wouldn't get so popular. But well, I think, I mean, it's. I suppose it, it sort of um, was the first model to propose a, a role for the brain, and yeah. it was kind of out there, a good maybe, what maybe seven years or so in published format before an alternative model was proposed, and so for that reason, it's probably kind of stuck in the conscious consciousness yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Right. What do we have next? Yeah. Well, we haven't. Have we chatted much about the race? No, we skip past that. <clears throat> it's about that. We asked every guest that comes on what do you think of playing, trying to compete in this race. And every every person kind of has the same reaction when they're like, Jesus, he's off his head or whatever. But you've done a 33 hour race. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> you probably don't go 24 hours. Is that it? <laughs> um, but I know you have uh, a lot of experience in ultra running. Would you ever consider an adventure race or have you ever competed in anything that, that, that goes beyond running? Yeah, I, I have. I mean, I've done a short adventure race. Um, it was uh, cycling a mountain climb, so down in Kerry. Um, I'm trying to think of the phases. So it was, it was cycling first, but I think it was a 13-mile cycle. Um, it was like a hike over Mount Brandon. Um, which is about 3,000 feet or so, um, a kayak around Dingle Bay, and then a run back into um, the, the middle of the town yeah. again. So it was quite short, you know, it was maybe a few hours or, or yeah. whatever it was, can't remember exactly. Um, so what do, what, do, what do I think of this? I, I, I think it's fab. Um, I can understand completely the, the attraction of it. Um, um, but it, I, I, I can't. It's, it's going to be hugely challenging. Um, yeah. I suppose the most important question is what do you think about it and what do I think about it? But but, but um, I think it's very, I think it's not very, but I think it's doable and yeah. achievable and I think your your goals are achievable. Um, I think we haven't really maybe spoken about goal setting, but I think, um, you know, what you want to do in terms of completing the race within the 24 hours is achievable. It's those kind of processes along the way of, um, you know, how how you cope with all those adverse events what what strategies you can place not just you know mental but all your other nutritional strategies etc as well um obviously you're you're training well and you're preparing well for the event um and that will all stand to you as well so um i think fair play i think um i think i like what you're doing like zero to 25k or two, 250k is, is a fantastic idea um but yeah i think a more important question is do you think it's achievable <laughs> Um, I I think I think we'll finish the race. Well, I hope we finish the race now at this stage. I think it would take maybe some form of injury or something yeah. on the day. But in saying that, 
you could ask me that. You know, you're asking me now, and I'm saying it is achievable. You could ask me in three days' time, and I might have a really bad session, and and you know, motivation does go down. Then I think there's no way I'm doing this. You know, I've only done a a two-hour session here now, and I feel like crap after it. So, motivation does definitely fluctuate a bit, but um, for the most part, I'm I'm pretty confident that we'll at least finish the race. Um, as long as I stick to a, a good pacing strategy on the day, I suppose. Yeah. What would be the interesting point? What would be this? Is almost going to turn into a session. <laughs> 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 what? What? So if you do a, a two-hour training session, that was a crap session. What would that mean? You, as in slower than you planned, or just didn't feel good, or uh, slower, and then some. Sometimes I'll, I might come in and just feel exhausted or tired. You know, um, a lot of my training as well, I might do after work so i've done a full full day's work nine to five and then i go out on a session and i might just be feeling extra fatigued on that day when i come in then mentally i'm just i'm feeling you know i've only been out here two hours and i just don't feel ready you know so the thought of doing maybe 24 hours is a bit daunting uh, but then on the flip side i've done seven or eight hour sessions and come on feeling great you know so it's just it, it depends how how the coin lands on the day i think actually i mean kind of flipping that and kind of reappraising that a bit i think those two hour sessions where you feel awful during them where you feel mentally fatigued going into them are actually probably more valuable yeah because that's how you're going to feel during the event mm. um and in a way they're maybe preparing you more mentally not yeah. necessarily physically but mentally for a session for the race than a session of you know kind of seven hours where everything's wonderful because yeah. let's hope everything's wonderful during the race itself that's great but the inevitable likelihood is that it won't be and so mm. having experienced really horrendous sessions where you felt awful you didn't want to do them the weather was rubbish whatever yeah. it is but you went out and you did them and you cope with them mentally those are the sessions that you will recall when it's really horrendous yeah. and you think well you know what i've only an hour left in this run I've done a two-hour session where I was feeling horrendous, and I got through it, and that and that's where you'll kind of get your your confidence from and your your boost uh, during the event as well. Mm. Um, I remember one one race. I'm oh, sorry, it was a stage of the that's a hard race I did, and I was feeling absolutely rubbish, and just almost coincidentally, I I part of the route went through this kind of stony, rocky, um, kind of mountainy pass sort of thing, and it just reminded me of. Uh, when I was preparing it for it, I went out for a run on Christmas Day 2011, so the event was 2012, and everything about that path reminded me of where I ran on Christmas Day, and I, I just drew in that, and I think, you know, this is this feels tough now, but you went out on Christmas Day, you did this run, and just remind all those sort of positive things that I drew from that, it just got mm -hmm. me through it. So it'll be very, very similar. It's those negative ones that you sort of think, I'm having a similar experience here. It's just horrendous, but, you know, I got through that, and, and, and I went out and trained again the next day, so I can do this. That's an RE tool that we can call on on the day. I I think we knew that anyway that those those bad sessions, the the ones in the middle of the night and the the wind and the rain, those are the ones that's really preparing you for them. Like you know, like we did a we did an eight hour session on the gym. It was a fundraiser, um, but the conditions were just obviously optimal. optimal. <laughs> you know, inside heated. I could control um, the speed. I could control uh, everything. Felt great. He felt like he could have went for uh, double it nearly exactly you know but um it's the sessions that's really grueling it's really prepping you like isn't it yeah um 
And I think, you know, again, it's, it's drawing on any strategies that kind of work during the event at the time, like even kind of things. And again, there's some good research on this, but like you'd sort of mentioned about the, the guy who set the course record and his nearest competitor was two hours behind him. I mean, that 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 must have been exceptionally tough for that guy that, you know, you're you're probably going to be on parts of the route and you can see way, way in the distance and there's nobody there. Um, sometimes kind of when you're in the pack and you're kind of you're on a part of the route like that and you can see somebody ahead that becomes your little race mm. and so I ain't going to catch that person I ain't going to beat them I'm not you're not interested in catching them and beat them really yeah. in a bigger thing but it gets you through that yeah. sort of yeah. section of the event or whatever it's all those little games that we play that, yeah. that sort of gets through I am worried about slipping in the last place because obviously I'm going in here probably one of if not the least experienced person on the starting line um, and I'd, I'd made a wee spreadsheet there and a, a, a pace calculator for every section and I put on what my worst pace, you know, if I, if I have a really bad run, what will my pace be? And I've done that for every section and it brought me in like over the 24 hour mark so I wouldn't, wouldn't be finishing basically. So that, I suppose that's on my mind now that if I do have a bad run on every section, I don't have enough in me to finish the race um that's one thing i'm worried about yeah um i suppose going back to to the very first thing you said so <clears throat> in terms of being in last place or, or whatever um i guess in part that's something you can't really control um mm. so you can't control what other performers do um and focusing on things and i, and I get the point about 24 hours we'll chat about that in a second but um kind of focusing on you know where you are in the race more or less is irrelevant um, when your goal is to complete the race in, yeah. in sub 24 so focusing on those things and look this this can be a trap a lot of people fall into as well you know on the start line where people start passing you you can have rigorously planned your pacing strategy and then that feeling of everybody's going past me here um you the natural response is to go with them mm. and the plan that you've developed for six <laughs> months has gone out the window yeah. uh, and so that takes a lot of a lot of discipline to sort of go do you know what okay I've got my plan, stick to it. I, you know, because that thought of people passing you can really be upsetting. It, yeah. it really, really can. Um, so I think that's kind of one thing. Again, if then, if everybody goes off, yeah. um, a, a strategy I've learned because I've made that mistake is I trick myself almost. You know, do you know what? In twenty hours' time, I'm going to be passing them, yeah. and that's when I want somebody ahead of me to target to pass, yeah. not now when the race is is twenty seconds old. Yeah. Um. So 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 that's kind of one thing. Um, again that goal of um, going back to our sort of goals so those processes that you have okay if you do have a bad run um, it's how you make that as good a bad run as you possibly can mm -hmm. so again it's all those kind of strategies because if you start thinking oh this is a bad run and in your mind everything starts to spiral I'm going to lose my goal I'm going to be last I won't go mm -hmm. it will be a worse run so again, it's how you cope with those thoughts if you do. And it's good to plan for the thought of having a bad run um, because, okay, how do I cope with that? Why might I have a bad run? Okay, so is it something about my training? I doubt it, uh, but I can't control that right now. What can I do to make the best of this situation? Is it a fueling issue? Okay, so then I, you know, so I eat more maybe than I planned. So you'd said about the, the guy who set the record, having more than he needs and, and other options and things like that as well. Um, is it just I'm in this negative 
because the weather's so horrendous and all that mm. sort of stuff, you know. So so it's all those kind of things you can you can sort of plan for. And it's in a way, okay, how do I make this the best worst run I've ever had? Mm. You know, to, to sort of get me through. Um so I think I like what you've done, even though it might sound like you're inducing a negative there in terms of planning if I have my worst possible run and all these. Mm. But that's good. Because if you start from there, everything else is, is better. Yeah. Uh, and so then everything else is a good day and, and that helps you get get you through as well I mean right from stage one where, where you do that first run I would plan that as in okay what's the worst case scenario here because I know inevitably you'll be better and that gives you a boost almost yeah. straight away you know so I guess all these all these little tricks yeah, that you just can the do perspective that. of how you look at that you know I was looking at it as a negative and you're flipping it on the positive just it's yeah. framing us now it's, it is it's reappraising it's reframing and, and kind of reframing and again it's sort of yeah um, going back to the point I said earlier people don't necessarily like to think of those things because that thought of I'm putting doubts in my head I'm putting it but that's so important because you know if it does happen then you've got a plan in place to, to cope with it and, and deal with it um, and like I say, uh, those kind of thoughts of uh, what if I'm last in, in the race? Well, you know, you could finish in 20 hours and be last, but you've achieved your goal by four hours. Yeah. And, and it's been a massive, massive achievement. So actually where you finish in the race is irrelevant. And, you know, I hate to say it, but in races like that as well, um, being last doesn't necessarily, being the last finisher doesn't necessarily mean you finish last. Is that yeah. You know, because, you know, things happen to people and stuff like that. Yeah. And people may drop out, etc. Um so if you finish last of the finishes that's that's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing because the good thing is you finished yeah don't focus on those uncontrollable variables yeah, uh. yeah. it is it's all those kind of processes of, of what can I control what can I do right now mm. to make this as, as better if it's a bad run what can I do to make it my best bad run yeah that's interesting one yeah I like that a good bad run mm. sounds better than a bad run <laughs> <laughs> um well i suppose before we do our our guests and all that's our i suppose a lot, a lot of people's listening to this for and they would have picked up a lot already but is there any things that you can think of anything else that just simple things that the listeners that you haven't talked about already could implement on their own training if they're doing endurance events um i think we've, we've spoken about a lot of things mm. um i'm not sure i'm just kind of looking through my list of of uh yeah, kind of strategies that, that I, I sort of plan to talk about. And I think we've spoken about most of them. Yeah. Um, probably, I mean, maybe, I don't know if it's something you plan to use. It's maybe not even actually allowed during the event. Um, can you use music? Is no. that, you can't? No, it's, it's yeah. no music. Uh, um, do you use music in training? Or is that something that you... Um, when I'm running, I use yeah. training, not when I'm cycling. Yeah. Um, I tried to, to cut back on the amount of music just to yeah. kind of phase myself out of it. Um, but I do find it really useful. Not even just yeah. music. Um, podcasts I actually find better than music. Um, if I could do a good podcast, I could be out running for two hours and it would just fly by. You distraction. Know? And, uh, it's yeah. just complete distraction. So that that will be something that I don't know. Uh, there's no way around that on the day, you know. But yeah. I've I definitely find it a lot more useful in my training just to have yeah. the music I think I'm mm -hmm. better off using it now than, than not using it at the minute anyway yeah so we all the guests we do we get them to uh, guess a time for Blaine they finish and we do we always do uh, guess a time for a good day and guess a time for a bad day so all, all conditions going against them what's the time going to be in all conditions going for them um, 
will we pull up previous competitors, Glenn? Do you have it there? I can pull it up here. Um, just just to show you the times that they would kind of finish on, uh, so you can make some sort of an informed guess. Like, but obviously that's I'll there's not much the, to go by. I'll use the 2017 times because hmm. last year there was um a beast from the east hit during the race, so it got put okay. off four weeks. So they got a lot better weather conditions than last week's one, yeah. or last year's one, sorry. I'm just kinda look and see if I know any of these people. <laughs> <laughs> get a bit of a get a bit of a gauge. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow, some pretty impressive times here. Mm. Um and apparently this year there's there's more of a competitor predatory uh, coming in, whereas there's a lot of completionists in previous years. This year coming apparently there's a lot of guys going on to race. Okay. Um, how many people do it? Hundred. Hundred. Hundred competitors. With a thirty percent dropout rate mm, on okay. average. A thirty percent attrition rate's crazy too, isn't it? Hmm. Thirty one this year. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um right, I try yeah, I try to be kind of um a bit clever here and I kind of looked at each one of the stages and I thought, okay, what would be a realistic time to to do each one of those in? Um and so I'm not sure whether this would be the the good day or the bad day time. Mm. This is kind of the middle of both sort of yeah, times, right, you know. Okay. Yeah. So I, I came up with a time about twenty one and a half hours. Right. It's optimistic. Yeah. Mm. It's well it's not our most optimistic. Uh, no it's not. <laughs> what was it Seamus is nineteen hours or we talked about having almost like gold, mm. silver and bronze goals. Yeah. Um and my golden goal would be twenty two hours, twenty three hours finish. That's my okay. gold, silver and bronze standard okay. on the day. So um I like that by the way. I like the, so yeah, flexible but goals is yeah. a is a good thing. So your dream goal. Um so okay, so um well do you know I'm I'm just gonna kinda go with, with, with that as a as a gold goal mm. um of twenty one and a half hours. Um and uh, okay, we'll we'll say what what's kind of the acceptable goal, the the bronze goal, twenty twenty three, twenty three, fifty nine, fifty nine. Um. So yeah, I I you know um I think twenty one and a half hours. I, I'm going to go with that as as kind of a a, a, a gold goal. Yeah. Um, and I and I do believe that's achievable. Um, and I think all the things you're sort of doing, I like your idea of having a you know um going back to what we we're talking about the kind of the the bad training sessions um mm. i like the idea that they will stand to you and, yeah. and they will sort of help you through it um silver and bronze goals let's add an hour to each um and i think with good strategies you'll, you'll get there yeah. Yeah. awesome looking forward to it buddy. um anything else no i think that's everything mm. uh obviously our, our listeners know that we're part of the story with yourself now at the moment um would you be happy enough to come back on again after we finish up the story and maybe discuss some of the things that we've covered and absolutely just a recap yeah yeah i'd be very happy to yeah. yeah um well thanks very much for coming on though ah, we really it was appreciate an it absolute pleasure yeah. may probably keep you about too long quarter seven now no, it's good um thanks for having me guys really yeah. enjoyed it and, and really appreciate being asked to do it as well so yeah. so thank you brilliant all right thanks brilliant. very much this has been the Coast to 250k podcast. You can follow our journey online at the Coast to 250k Facebook page, Instagram, 
or AidenDorleyFootness.com.